It was uh, 2004, about 17 years ago now, hard to believe, uh, that I had the opportunity to do a semester abroad in my last year of college. And uh, during that trip, I, I spent a couple weeks in the ancient city of Rome. And one day, uh, some classmates and I were seeing the sites, we were touring around, and one of the sites we saw this day was the, um, it was called the Circus Maximus. It's this huge amphitheater, this outdoor amphitheater that had hosted hundreds of thousands of people to watch chariot races back in the ancient world. As we were walking and looking over this vast landscape, we saw this uh, image, and there was a a stage being set for what looked like uh, a concert that was going to happen. Now, this was in the day and age before smartphones, and so we weren't able to really find out a whole lot about what was happening. And uh, because we didn't speak Italian, we couldn't get a lot of information out of the locals. All we heard was that there was a free concert that was happening that evening. Well, uh, that evening, half of our class uh, decided to go venture out and check out what this was all about, and the other half decided to opt out. Some people said they just wanted some extra sleep, or they uh, were going to get caught up in laundry or homework. And I have to tell you that I am glad I was part of the group that ventured out, because it turned out to be one of the most amazing concert experiences of my life. It turned out that this was much more than just any free concert. This was a collaboration of some of the best artists around the world that had come together to raise awareness for global poverty. Oprah Winfrey hosted the night. Uh, Andrea Bocelli sang with the Roman Symphony. Josh Groban sang that famous You Raise Me Up song to the the power of 100,000 people singing. Alicia Keys was there. Nora Jones, the jazz legend Herbie Hancock. There was just something for everybody. And at the end of the night, the the guitar legend Carlos Santana played us out the evening. Uh, A couple years later, I was able to find a CD of the evening. It was this evening called We Are the Future. And you can see the image there in the lineup of all these musicians. Now, the next day at breakfast, when we were talking to the 15 or so people that didn't come, you could see the heartbreak on their face. Why did I opt out of this experience to get some laundry done, right? If only I had have known, I would have come. Um, to add insult to injury, one of our classmates had caught the drumstick from Carlos Santana's drummer and showed them he was that close to the action. And they were devastated that they had missed out on this amazing, amazing experience. We're finishing up a series today called A Place at the Table, and we've been looking at all the meals that Jesus has throughout the Gospel of Luke. And to end our series, I wanted to go back now to Luke 14 and look at this parable of the great banquet. Now, in Jewish understanding of the coming of the kingdom of God, it was likened to this great feast, this great party. This is what we read back in Isaiah 25, that there's this image of at the end of time when God will bring his kingdom and fullness, it will be this huge, great feast. We read, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a rich feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. And then it goes on to say, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. This was the hope that that the Jewish people had in the coming Messiah. And as Jesus is feasting with these Pharisees, one of the members says, won't it be great when we're at that great feast of the kingdom? And yet, Jesus speaks into that longing, I, I would say, a loving 
warning to them. A loving warning towards those who, who might self-select out or miss out on the greatness of this feast because their heart is drawn to other things. Now, some of my friends missed out on a concert, and, and that was a bit sad. But there is something more at stake here. Jesus wants to draw us to a place of provision, a place where tears are wiped away, where there is reconciliation between all people, where death itself will be swallowed up. And this text, I think, issues a a warning to us not to miss out on the coming kingdom of God in our lives. What I'd like to do is look at this parable through three vantage points today. And I think each vantage point poses a different question to us. I want to begin by looking at the excuse makers in this parable and ask this question, what draws us away from the kingdom of God? Next, I want to look at the vantage point of those who attend the banquet and ask this question, what will draw us back? What will turn our hearts back to this great feast that God wants to invite us to? And then lastly, I want to look at the vantage point of the servant in this parable and ask this question, where is God sending us? And who is he calling us to invite to this feast? So that's where we're going to go today. But I first want to look at this perspective, this vantage point of the excuse makers. Now, these people had been invited. They had RSVP'd to this event. In the ancient world, when a feast like this was being prepared, they would have said, I'm coming, I'm coming. They they had chosen to be part of this. And yet, as the parable unfolds, we see that they all have a different excuse. I got to inspect some property, got to take my oxen for a test drive, I just got married. What's important for us to understand as contemporary listeners is that these excuses would have sound very weak to ancient ears. They aren't really very good excuses, not reasons to miss out or back out of a commitment. This is Craig Keener in his background commentary. He says, this late notice would be heard as a weak excuse. That would serve as a grievous insult to the dignity of the host who had prepared the feast at much expense. That's the point of this parable to illustrate that these guests are uh, missing out and they're insulting the host. And and these excuses just sound fairly pathetic. If someone in the ancient world had enough money to have five oxen, that would have meant they didn't themselves had to work the land. They would have had workers, right? So that's kind of how this is playing out on ancient ears. It's cueing to us that their excuses are weak. And the point I think that Jesus is making in this parable is that these excuse makers really just want to be somewhere else. Their heart is attached to other things. That's, that's the problem being named here. It is a divided heart or a, a disordered heart that cares more about property, about possessions, about the relationships in life than being part of this banquet feast. Now, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and I think he is directing this character towards them. They're the ones that think they will be at the, at the feast of the kingdom. They are the insiders. They have made a commitment. They've RSVP. They said, I'm going to be there. And he is warning them that the cares of this world have a potential to draw us away from that great feast. 
This reminds us of another parable that Jesus speaks about, the parable of the sower. We maybe remember that one where God is likened to this farmer who's casting out the seed, which represents the word of the God, word of God, and some falls on good soil, but other falls on soil that is choked out by thorns and weeds. And this is what Jesus says of that type of heart. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life or the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. The worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth cause people to drift away, to not see the the fulfillment of God's work in their lives. And so the question that this vantage point poses to us is this, friends, what causes you to miss out on the feast? What are those attachments in your life that have a tendency to draw you away from participating in the kingdom of God? I wonder if it is some of the things that are named in this parable. These are common ones. Our attachments to possessions and wealth, our our pursuit of that, our, our Uh, social commitments? Are there other things that you find drawing you away that cause you to drift from the kingdom of God and and thereby miss out on this rich feast that God has prepared for you? You know, I, I think this is a timely word for us right now. We are living in a moment where there's a lot of renegotiation of commitments. This has been a disruptive 18 months for us, hasn't it? Social commentators are are naming in American culture right now what's called the Great Resignation. As we emerge from COVID, we're not always going back to those old rhythms of life. People aren't going back to work. They're not re-engaging some of the rhythms they had pre-COVID. Now, there's some benefit to this. Uh, Maybe it's a helpful reset to say no to those things that weren't good. But but here's my challenge and my concern to us, friends. My concern is that if we're not careful, there will be a great resignation from our faith. A great resignation from our faith. It is hard to keep rhythms of worship and community and prayer in the best of times. But we've just had those rhythms now disrupted for 18 months or so. And my my challenge to you is to not just slowly find yourself drifting away from this rich feast of of the kingdom of God. I've mentioned before that C.S. Lewis talks about how the path away from God is often the gradual slope. There's no signposts, there's no milestones. And wouldn't it be sad if about 10 years from now or at the end of our life, we look back and realize it was somewhere around 2020 or 2021 that I just started self-selecting out and drifting away. Jesus, I think, wants to lovingly warn us about not missing out on this feast, allowing the things of this world to take more of a precedence in our heart. So there's a, there's a challenge to us, I believe, in this text Jesus, at the end of this passage, says to those who have these excuses, they will not have a taste of my banquet. Now, this isn't because Jesus rejects them. There is still room at the table, friends. That's what we hear at the end of the parable. They have actually self-selected out, and he's warning them. He's saying, come back. Don't miss out. There's room, because if you continue to make these choices, you will miss out on this great banquet, on the things that you really are longing for. 
Another C.S. Lewis quote that I've found helpful is this. He's speaking about the end of our time, or end of our days, and he says, there will only be two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Scripture is very clear that there are times where God will say, okay, I hand you over to your choices. And that, that should alert us, maybe warn us, concern us. Romans one twenty four, he hands them over to the desires of their sinful heart. Jesus wants to warn us of that and to, to be aware of our choices. To avoid that time where God says, okay, your will be done. Which poses this second question for us today. How can we find our way to that feast? How can we avoid missing out on this great banquet that God is preparing for us, this participation in the kingdom of God? And and for us to explore this, I want to look at this from a different vantage point now, from the vantage point or this perspective of the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. And I want to ask this question today, how can we avoid missing out on the feast? I think that the answer here is to take stock of our hearts. What is it that we truly desire, that we truly live for? The excuse makers, if they're honest, love their property and their possessions more than the kingdom of God. And so our avoidance of that is to reorient our heart and discover again the beauty of the kingdom. And the beauty of this God who hosts this banquet for us. And I think as we see God's heart for the poor and the crippled, the lame and the blind, it has the potential to reorient our hearts. The antidote here is to meditate on a God who has at great expense prepared this beautiful feast for us. The things that we long for. Right back to Isaiah 25. Provision, forgiveness, reconciliation, and hope. The swallowing up of death itself. And we have a God who sees us in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our struggle to see, and comes in search of us. And he compels, he desires that we would come. There is room for us. Friends, the way that we find our way back to this feast, I believe, is one, to rediscover the goodness of God, and second, to discover our need. Discover that we need this kind of Savior in our lives. You know, in the West, we talk a lot about uh, discipleship as getting our information right. And that is important. Those facts matter. We have a faith that is rooted in something beyond our experience, in, in truth, in facts that lie outside of how we feel about anything. But we see in the scriptures that Jesus placed so much importance on our heart and what we love. It's not just a reorientation of our facts and our minds and what we give a verbal assent to, but to what we love. Jesus is asking this question, do we actually desire the kingdom? I want you here not just out of duty, but out of desire. Has this captured your heart, this vision of the kingdom? And the question that this text poses us, to us is, is, how do we have that reorientation of desire? I think it begins by meditating on the beauty of God and the beauty of this kingdom. Jesus says, don't just know the Lord your God with all your minds. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. 
He says of some people, my name is on their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Do you see his concern for our hearts? Because that's what drives our lives. What we love decides what we do, decides what we pay attention to, where we invest our time There's a beautiful quote from a Jesuit leader, uh, Pedro Rupe, and I may have shared this with some of you before. It's a quote I come back to often, and it's so powerful. I wanted to just hold this up for us again today. And and, uh, Rupe says this, Nothing is more practical than finding God, than falling in love in a quite final and absolute way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. So fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. Fall in love, stay in love, and that will decide what you do. It will decide everything. Jesus wants to reorient our hearts, and this parable, I think, has the power to do that, to meditate on a God who loves us and draws us into this great feast. And maybe for some of us today, this comes as very good news. Because I wonder if some of you come today, and in your, own, in your own way, in your own experience, you find yourself connecting with the poor and the lame and the blind and the crippled. Do you come today feeling weak at the end of yourself? Do you come today having felt excluded? Do you come today hurting? Do you come today struggling to see or make sense of things? The beauty of the scriptures is that God says you are blessed, and he sees you, and he comes in search of you and desires you to come and be filled, that you have a place at the table. It is with great audacity that Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels, those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, those who are hungering and thirsting for something more are blessed. You are the blessed ones. And why is that? It's because you are at a place where you realize you need something more than what offers. You're less attached to the, the things of the world because they've let you down. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's room for it to move in. Can this perhaps come as good news to those of you who are going through a season of suffering, a season of failure, a season of rejection? Jesus says you are blessed. There is an opportunity in these times for the kingdom of God to capture our hearts and call us home. Maybe God wants to do some of that work in your hearts today. There's good news, friends, for those of us who are on the margins. But I don't want to end there. Because this good news, friends, is not just for us, but it is also for those out beyond the highways and country roads of Bellingham and Whatcom County. That we cannot just read our, ourselves personally into this text, but have a, a more expansive vision of a God who sees a world that is suffering and desires to draw them to this feast. And so I want to end with this final vantage point. It's one I almost missed in the reading of the text this week. But I noticed that I think some of us are called, all of us in one way or another, are called also to read ourselves into this parable as the servant. 
as the one who is sent by God out into the places of pain in this world to compel others to come to this banquet. To compel others to come to this banquet. In the context here, Jesus had issued this challenge to the Pharisees before he told this parable. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is a reflection that N.T. Wright has on, on this parable. And he says, It isn't enough to say that we ourselves are the people dragged in from the country lanes, to our surprise, to enjoy God's party. That may be true, and maybe that is good news for some of you today. But hear this, friends. Party guests are then expected to become party hosts in their turn. We are called to also be that servant role that is called to be sent out to draw others and woo them, compel them to come. Now this verb uh, and this word compel is important. Some translations, I think, get it wrong. They say, make them come. There's like almost this forcible word. But the the word is compel, urge, persuade, invite. This is how R.T. France comments on this word. The verb compel conveys a sense of urgency, but it is not a sanction for forcible conversion. (laughs) To compel others to come. And so the question I, I want to pose to you today, this last question, is who is God calling you to invite to the banquet? Where is your life intersecting with the lives of people who are struggling to see, who are hurting, who are poor in spirit, who are longing for good news? God wants to send us out into those places, compelling them with good news to come to this feast. Now, this begins, I think, by first having our heart compelled by this vision. We're not going to share good news if we don't really believe it's good news. So the, the work has to be done in our hearts. You know, when I was telling my friends about this amazing concert, and I've told that story again, I was excited about it. I was captured by this experience. Do we have that kind of passion about our view of the kingdom of God? And if not, does God need to aliven our hearts and minds to the vision of this? And when it does, can we share this compelling vision with others? Friends, where is God sending you out? To whom is he sending you to? Because here is the good news at the end of our parable. Jesus says, there is still room at this feast. And there are other people that God wants to compel and draw to this place that they might experience provision, healing, the swallowing up of death itself. Would you join me in prayer? And so, God, we pray that you would be doing a work in our hearts today. We, we pray that you would warn us from the ways our hearts are disordered. We confess the ways that we sometimes say, please excuse me, I have other things to attend to. Lord, I pray that we would be drawn to the vision of this beautiful kingdom and see that this is where life is truly found and this is where our eternal hope is found. Draw us, Lord, back into your kingdom. And compel us, Lord, to to have open hearts to the way that you want to draw others to this feast. Lord, may you accomplish this work in our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.